0: Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast brought to you by 70 Agency. You're listening to Martina and Barbara. Welcome to Tech Talks.
1: (laughs) Welcome to 70 Tech Talks.
0: Welcome to the very beginning of 2023 with Tech Talks. Um, 2022 was a year I don't I don't know how to best to describe it. It was a year.
1: <laughs> it was a year with a capital Y. Yes. Yes, and, for sure. Uh, yeah. A lot happened. Um a lot unfolded in yeah. the in the world of tech. And um I think we we've been on a interesting journey learning yeah. about the different topics, mm. the different areas of uh where tech is dominant yeah and also talk to a lot of interesting
0: people yeah and you know i think what made 2022 quite interesting is that we had it was a year where i think we saw technology the beginning of many technologies that will have a very long lasting impact and yes some will maybe take longer than others but i think um, we don't have the we don't have the opportunity every year to see these kind of um, you know big hypes and see these kind of quite revolutionary technologies and systems that have been starting to, to scale and starting to find new use cases as they they did this year so i think that's what actually made 2022 despite all of all the roller coasters i think it was an exciting year the roller coasters made it interesting, I suppose.
1: I, I would think so. And I also think that the year we are currently in is sort of a set on a similar trajectory. Yeah. Um, there is still, you know, wars happening. Um. We are in a, in a big financial crisis yeah. globally. Uh, inflation is high. Yeah. And... There's a lot still to unravel, but I agree, 2022 was quite an eventful year.
0: It was, <laughs> for sure. And so that's
1: actually why we're going to
0: take this, this episode to look back at some of the headlines in some of the most interesting areas of the year and so we'll we'll try to summarize the the most interesting highlights but also try to predict what will go down so we're going to be looking at cybersecurity because as you know we're very interested in that after <laughs> <laughs> uh, after our episode with uh, you one we're going to be looking into crypto we're going to look into the circus of twitter um npl and i suppose chat gpt uh, NLP. <laughs> NLP. <laughs> That's obviously going to be Barbara telling you about that. <laughs> um, then also computer brain interfaces, and uh, I think we're going to end up with a uh, with a look back at the metaverse, the famous metaverse. Yeah. What I mean, I think it's interesting to uh, to see what is actually going on there. It's inevitable. Yeah, for sure. With with that being said, I think we need a disclaimer. Could, we, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is not an investment advice. <laughs> Anything you hear in our podcast is for informational purposes only. Mm. And always um, ask your own financial advisor yeah. for any kind of investments you might be making. Yeah. Disclaimer done.
0: Yeah. Like... Keep in mind, these predictions that we present here are quite personal. It's quite speculative. <laughs> don't hold don't hold seventy accountable. <laughs> no, it's it's personal thoughts. Yeah, um, but yeah, I guess let's jump into it. Let's do it. What are we starting with? Starting with cybersecurity. To yeah, to keep the red thread from the last uh episode because, yeah, last time we had the we had you one in the studio, Mm -hmm. I think it was uh, quite a lot of fun. I think a lot of people thought it was fun to listen to him as well.
1: I'm receiving a lot of messages from different friends and people that I haven't really met before, uh, complimenting the last two episodes. I would everyone go listen to it it's very interesting it's very educational but also a very important topic um, of of today yeah for sure because
0: what we did and what we did in the second part was uh, specifically talk about some of the greatest hacks of all time but uh, what we saw in 2022 is that there were a lot of major events that went down last year as well and you know I think we saw a lot of hacks that exposed the vulnerabilities in our social media platforms on one hand, but also that exposed the fragility of blockchain applications. And I think that's a little bit where I want to start. I want to start talking about Axie Infinity because that was also quite early on in in 2022. So we've spoken about Axie Infinity in one of our uh, earlier Episodes. It's essentially a blockchain-based pet game, and a community where you can you can buy these pets called axes. You battle with them, you raise them, you breathe them. I guess you love them, and um, yeah. And the game it runs on Ethereum, and the nice thing about it is that you can make quite a lot of money out of it. Actually, to the extent where some people some people are living
1: off of it in Philippines. Yes. Yeah? Nice. It's quite interesting, isn't it? I think it's it's a it's a new way for for some people to to earn their living. Yeah, it's opening up new revenue streams for people that might not have other mm. opportunities, um, and that's that's I think one of the positive aspects of this new forms of gaming.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so, obviously, where there is a lot of money, <laughs> there will be. Some interest for uh, well, for getting uh, for getting a share out of that, or there will be some. It will be interesting for hacker groups, such as, for instance, North Korea's Lazarus group, uh, meaning the same group that we uh, that we talked about last time. They were behind the Bangladesh bank heist. Uh, They were behind the WannaCry WannaCry ransomware attack. So, yeah, they've been uh, they're they're still quite active. <laughs> and they came back last year for uh for Axie Infinity. So, it was in March 2022, yeah, I last believe March, so, yeah. And they targeted Sky Mavis, which is the developer behind Action Infinity. So, what they did, they started reaching out to employees through LinkedIn, uh, posing as recruiters with very generous job offers. Um and it was quite sophisticated because apparently they put up um, a few fake interview rounds. They made it very, very a very believable experience simply. And at some point a senior engineer clicked on a PDF, and that PDF was supposed to contain an official offer, but that's essentially how they then got in, and they exploited a uh, it's called a, a bridge that enables users to transfer assets between uh, different blockchains. And eventually, they stole the Ethereum and um, USDC, meaning the digital US dollar. And at that point, I think it was a worth of uh, six hundred twenty-five million. Obviously that has gone down a little bit, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's still an immense amount of money. And I think that just, it just proves the, the point that even blockchain applications, which you assume are secure, there is still a human factor to the platforms where cryptocurrencies are being used, and that human factor is the greatest vulnerability you will ever have.
1: I'm, I'm not surprised. I think that was one of the, um, the factors we discussed with Johan as yeah. well is that it comes down to, to the human mistake. Mm. And, you know, it also shows that you can be attacked at any point. Mm. Just being interviewed for a new role yeah, thinking you will get a new job where essentially the interviewer. Can you imagine the embarrassment? Because apparently they didn't. They
0: only found out like one week later, and then obviously they could track down who let, who, uh, who the person was. Yeah, and just imagine that not only have you been secretly applying, or like been, uh, been yeah, applying for the jobs, or been open to changing your job, but then you have also. Been the cause for the biggest um yeah, the biggest hack
1: of company's time. I cannot imagine what that person goes through. But it it
0: uh, that that's a difficult Monday to show up to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just shows that we have to be extremely careful. Yeah. And just question everything. Yeah. Essentially. For sure. For sure. Protect yourself in your online accounts and Question everything that yeah. you can. Of course, some things you cannot, but try to be on top of your toes. Yeah. This year um, is supposed to be the year also where even more um, attacks, cyber security, or like cyber crimes will oh, yeah. happen.
0: That's just increasing all the time, isn't it? Yes. Yeah.
1: I was actually, um, I've ordered something from the UK mm-hmm. um, in December. Yeah. And my my um, packages were delayed. Like they came in a month later, and I I just thought you know Royal Mail must have a really bad service, where in uh, reality they were actually hacked. Oh no! And oh, wow. you know my packages were going through. I think it was Heathrow, and it was exactly the airport that was it was uh, a subject to a crime mm. and what uh, was hacked was the systems that were uh, responsible for dispatching packages hence the delays well yeah it's just going to keep increasing right
0: in particular these cross-chain bridge attacks they these are these are actually quite a common target or it's becoming an increasingly common target is even uh, Binance, you know, we're going to talk about FTX a little bit later, but I guess what you can call their i don't know—friend of <laughs> me, Binance competitor, yeah, um, yeah competitor. Um, they were actually also going through uh, some some tough times this fall. Uh, they experienced a similar hack as uh, Axie Infinity, so. um, Binance have their own token, right? It's called BNB and so in October last year, hackers found a vulnerability on the uh, BNB blockchain's uh, cross-chain coin bridge. So they stole they were able to steal an amount of like 570 million um, and I think in DeFi in general, yeah, we're going to see these cross-chain bridge attacks. Um, more and more, it's be- it's become a serious issue. And between 2021 and 2022, hackers have gone in their hands on 2 billion. So the crypto blockchains, they're not safe. They are as it can be. Yeah, as can be, but we are still finding out how to handle it. This is still quite a new phenomenon. So I think it's still being figured out. Like, how do you build the infrastructure. How do you build it? also the social organizational infrastructure um, and the the interface of the uh, of the platform so there are no cracks? And I think we're going to still see a lot of
1: yeah, still vulnerabilities and zero days being exposed. Do we think also that you know crypto industry is not regulated in any way? Yeah. How. What do we think how big of an impact would regulations have in securing um, the blockchain, for example? is it do we think that because it's so unregulated at this point in time that is more open to more attacks?
0: Yeah, I mean, regulations are there to help the to, to create a safe environment for the end user, right? Mm-hmm. Or for the person that would put their money into or that would trade money on the p- platform. So, and I believe that all those platforms that are trying to keep a sustainable, long-term, um, profitable business, I think that it's already in their interest to keep, keep it as safe and secure as possible. Mm. So, I'm not sure if regulations in this case would help because it's not the reg- regula- obviously there are regulations needed, but that would be for other reasons, I would say, than security. Because now, for instance, I think in actually Infinity's case, they paid their users back, didn't they? I can't remember, but I believe so. Yeah, I believe so, I mean, they were able to retrieve. It was a loss to the company, and I'm I'm not sure what I actually don't know what Binance how Binance handled uh, the hack. But either way, it still cost them money. It probably cost them their you know their reliability. And if you are not a reliable platform, then you're not going to have any users. So I don't think regulations are the answer here. Um, But, you know, I'm sure they would be useful (laughs) Uh, for other purposes. Um, But yeah, I think we can look at one final headline. Uh, We can, um, I just want to bring up one uh, quite an interesting case here because. in June in June 2021, actually, until January 2022, there was a bug in the Twitter API. Uh, and that enabled hackers to connect their email addresses to Twitter accounts, and they, they just scraped all the data. And I think they scraped about 400 million accounts. Like an in- insane, insane amount. They didn't get passwords, but they got quite a lot of information that you could, uh, you know, that you can... Pair together and detect maybe who was behind an account and so on, and so now just like one or two weeks ago, um, or last week I think for, from the from the recording date, <laughs> so maybe some slight delay when it's, uh, uh, when we're launching the episode. It was account information of about two hundred million users. They were. Um, given away on hacker forums for free. There was someone who tried to sell them earlier this fall, but n- there was no takers. So now it's just being given away for free. And it is believed that the data from the previous accident yeah, incident, um, that that's the data that is now being um, yeah available, yeah. being available exactly. And. Th- Again like it doesn't include passwords, but it does it does include account names, you have email addresses, you have phone numbers you can identify a, a person's an account uh, you can use some social engineering hacks you can open up the door for you know for personal threats you can maybe you run the risk of getting hacked, phishing and many other types of harassment so there's maybe not no direct financial di- damage right now. But it's still very serious, and there can be some quite uh, dangerous implications going ahead. And yeah, so I think in the end, summer of the year, you're connected to the internet. If you have a human connected to your network, you are not safe. So, uh, and in terms of predictions, going forward, it's believed that businesses will have a different approach to cybersecurity, instead of that being just like an IT problem, it's going to become a business risk. Uh, And that's a pretty important change. So Gartner, for instance, they published a a report uh, forecasting that by 2026, 50% of C-level executives will have performance requirements related to risk built into their employment contracts. So... The responsibility for security is spreading in the organization and it's not only the CTO now that is uh, held accountable. And I think with that it's going to also going to be increasingly common that you have company-wide training programs and more education that is connected to cybersecurity and that is also connected to social engineering. I think that's very interesting actually yeah. because
1: it also doubles down on the point that we... That we discussed in our episode with Johan that mm. education about cybersecurity should start early in life. Yeah, we need that now. We need it yeah. now, and it needs to start in schools. Um, we are digital human beings at this point. Yeah, we have a large presence of our everyday life is mm. digital and. I think this is a good change um, for companies, especially to to make sure that every single person in the company gets a training on how to make sure they stay secure online.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Speaking of like a change of approach, what we're also going to be seeing is the increased adoption of zero trust. And again, like the Gartner report, they mentioned that sixty percent of organisations will implement zero trust by um, by twenty twenty five. Sorry, but it's believed that half will fail to realise the actual benefits of it, and that will, again goes back to you need education. You need to, um, you know, you need to make it a, a systematical change instead of just something that you put on top of your current operations because zero trust uh is it's talked about quite a lot actually it's not so much a solution as it is an approach to security essentially never trust always verify and um you have three guiding principles you always assume breach every transaction is treated as if you know uh, as it's coming from an unknown source um you need to authentic authentic authenticate <laughs> at, every, at every point I don't know, Like I'm Swedish I don't know or, there's a there's difficult one <laughs> um, and then also you give the least privileged access so you know whatever a person doesn't require or is necessary for their specific tasks you don't give any more access than that and verify explicitly all data points from login location to time of day to analytical profile info. So, yeah, it's it's essentially a different. It's a different mindset to how you how you handle security. Um, and yeah, as long as companies are going to go through with it properly, I think that's going to. It's believed to bring a lot of savings and value to a company.
1: But it also shows, I think, from what you've said, is that if what was the percentage of how many will fail in actually? Oh,
0: so sixty percent are um, are uh, applying it, or adopting mm-hmm. it, and then half of those will fail, or will you know they will fail in? I think in implementing it accurate or all the way, you know, and I think. It's not enough that you put that you have one team or one department or one business process that have this kind of zero trust principle ingrained in them because then you know you still leave out the, the entire rest of the company to you know to, to fade.
1: No <laughs> oh, exactly it has to go through every single yeah. vertical of the company yeah, sure. and it just shows how demanding companies have to be yeah. on on their workforce when implementing the new Safety frameworks. Yeah, for sure. Did you want to hear something quite scary, too? But now you have to say, yeah.
0: As a as a final, maybe final point from that from that Gartner report. See, so here, okay. So these predictions are actually based on some on a proper study. These are not my personal predictions, obviously, because you know what, I don't I don't dare to even make (laughs) predictions on my own. But so Gartner, uh, they said that by twenty twenty five, threat actors will be able to attack and weaponize operational technology to the point that. They will be able to cause um, human uh, human deaths. Oh yeah, but, yeah. I mean, accidents. Essentially, they will be mm-hmm. able to um, to cause accidents at work to the point where people die. So,
1: I'm
0: just going to leave you with
1: that. <laughs> How, how do we bring the mood up from this, Martina? <laughs> we bring the
0: mood up by, I, I don't know, like maybe we change the topic.
1: We can change the topic. We change. I don't know how positive <laughs> <laughs> it will sound, but um, we'll go right into crypto or you know, crypto. blockchain. Um, but 2022 has been very bad for crypto market compared to previous years. It was a year when Bitcoin and Ethereum lost more than 50% of its value from their all highs in the late 2021. And then there's been other defining moments for crypto last year. And uh, unless you've been living in a cave, (laughs) (laughs) I think um, you have at least heard FTX being thrown around a lot recently. Um, So what is an FTX? It's a crypto trading platform that was founded by Sam Bankman-Fried and it has its own native currency called FTT. And well-known figures such as Tom Brady, Stephen Curry, Shaquille O'Neal and others became ambassadors for FTX over the course of time um, Tom Brady and his wife Giselle Bunhen even owned equity in FTX. We don't know how much though. And FTX also became so prominent at some point that they purchased the rights to rename the Miami Heat Arena to FTX Arena. And they reportedly signed a 19-year ni- deal to rename the arena. And as you might imagine, the city no longer wishes to associate with FTX.
0: So did, why did they get the money? Yes. Oh, they did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, so it would be a breach of contract if they change the name now. I'm not sure,
1: but oh. but uh, there was a lot of money involved in yes. getting the rights to rename the arena, and it's not something you can just do. So I I really am not sure what kind of connections Sam Bankman-Fried had, but it just shows he was quite influential. Mm. I think both both his parents also come from an academic academic world. Um, but what happened to FTX is it, it collapsed in early November uh, last year, so 2022, um, which was following a report that Coindesk made where they highlighted potential leverage and solvency concerns involving FTX affiliated trading firm called Alameda Research. And Alameda Research is a crypto hedge fund also co-founded and ran by Sam Bankman-Fried. Um, and he held a position valued at 5 billion US dollars in FTT, which is or was the native token of FTX. Um, a, lot of, um, a lot of people are, com- are comparing this to the crash uh, that happened with Lehman Brothers mm. Um, and then similarly to FTX was also Celsius. The Celsius Network is a centralized platform offering yields on various cryptocurrencies and digital assets, including Bitcoin, ether, and stable coins. What is a stablecoin? you might ask uh, is a digital currency that is pegged to a stable reserve asset like the u s dollar or gold? And stable coins are basically designed to reduce volatility relative to unpacked cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. So the Celsius network positioned itself kind of like a bank, but it seemed to operate more like a hedge fund. Um, and how crypto lending works is, is pretty much like savings account that uh, is offered by traditional banks, but with cryptocurrencies instead of fiat currencies. And just like in a bank, for crypto lending protocols too, an investor would open an account, it would deposit a cryptocurrency, Mm. and then from that, earn the interest on deposits. Some of those crypto lending accounts can pay interest rates of 18% or even more. Um, And then those accounts would typically pay interest in the same currencies that are being deposited. Um, And then some have rates that change daily and some others offer a fixed rate and the money is locked up for a fixed period. Um, But how can they afford to have such large returns, you might ask? Um, They can do that uh, because the firms that offer the accounts say they're able to lend customer deposits to institutional investors at even higher rates. Um, But why did Celsius crash? Um, So its latest troubles began after Celsius has made a big investment in a staking token um, that let people and companies like Celsius stake Mm. on the Ethereum blockchain and earn additional returns through DeFi. Um, And from there, a sharp drop in the value of crypto assets in May last year Um, left that trading at a discount and the token just became illiquid, essentially. Um, uh, We also had another case, Luna from Terra Network. Um, They have also experienced a crash, but just... Sort of going a little bit maybe to the terms because I realize we also mentioned now DeFi, um, which is a an emerging financial technology based on secure distributed ledgers similar to those used by cryptocurrencies. And it uses emerging tech to remove third parties and centralized institutions from financial transactions. They kind of act as a kind of a challenger to traditional finance system that we know today, which has limitations such as it takes time to approve a transaction, right? When you send the money from one bank account to another. And then also banks and other financial companies charge quite high fees for the use of their services. Um, and then we also have CFI, which stands for centralized finance. And those CFI platform, platforms are thought to be an easier and more familiar point of entry for people. The core idea behind CFI is to create crypto investment opportunities that offer some of the <coughs> yield benefits of DeFi, but with some of the ease of use and security by traditional financial services products, sometimes also referred to as ThreatFi. But with CFI, you can borrow money, you can buy and sell crypto, you can spend and earn rewards with crypto debit card and more. Some of the, those platforms um, are Coinbase and Kraken, both quite well known mm-hmm. and also rather easy to use.
0: But so CFI, so then we mean that there's... Uh this company behind, yeah, behind the platform, and they essentially have the authority to dictate what's going on.
1: Exactly. So um, those are those firms like you know Coinbase, Coinbase and Kraken. They are private companies that would deal primarily with blockchain assets like cryptocurrencies or NFTs. Um, but. You know, a lot, of, a lot of what happened in the crypto industry has led a lot of people to start talking about regulations, mm. which is why I brought a question earlier about regulations. But the regulators and investor advocates, they, they worry that customers don't understand that they are taking on much more risk than they would in a bank savings account.
0: So, what are we trying to regulate? Because if we look at, for instance, um, FTX, that was a that was a financial fraud, right? It wasn't <coughs> a technical fraud; it was a financial fraud. You could have done the same thing at any type of trading desk. Mm-hmm. But, and in this case, it was a crypto crisis because they were trading
1: cryptocurrency. It could have been anything, right? The technology from what we can see is very solid, mm. is very unique. It's more that it has no regulations right now around it and that's why it also allows for um for cheating mm. in in different um from different actors. But, you know, some some of the market participants, for example, aren't that worried about you know, whether crypto meltdown right now is going to alter institutional interest uh, in crypto, and one of those is MasterCard. Mm. Um, The director of startup engagement was actually very positive about institutional interest in crypto, regardless of what happened uh, with recent events. And rather than shying away from crypto, uh, she thought institutions will, will instead focus on becoming more careful about their diligence and who they partner with. Mastercard also says that with having some prior knowledge, since they've been supporting the crypto industry for years through different investments and initiatives, like bridging banks to provide ability to offer crypto trading to clients, they've also partnered up with crypto firms like Binance to launch the Mastercard-affiliated crypto uh, cards. So overall, Mastercard seems to believe there's a lot of promise in the underlying tech and even in Sweden, there's recently also been news surrounding cryptocurrencies because several um, private individuals have said to have been suspended from their banks after trading with cryptocurrencies. But the CEO of Swedish online bank called Avanza. Uh, stated that they will be a part of crypto trading if it becomes regulated, since the interest is high and there are characteristics of crypto that he finds interesting and are unique. It's kind of like, you know, it's an asset that is completely independent from third parties and geographically unbound uh, in what is right now geopolitically very difficult time. Um, so if we look at some of the, predictions of what will happen with crypto or what we think could happen with crypto is that for now, it's very difficult to say where crypto will go in the long term. But since FTX and other incidents before it, the regulators seem to be paying a closer eye to crypto, trying to establish laws and guidelines that will make cryptocurrencies safer for investors and less appealing to criminals. Um, According to Time magazine, President Joe Biden signed an executive order already last year in March that called on government agencies to study the responsible development of digital assets, including stable coins. Um, you know, so I would say probably some kind of regulation framework is needed to protect people from getting hurt when investing into cryptocurrency, but also to allow the technology to evolve. The... Um, the adoption has been fast and the adoption has been wide. So I would say crypto will not die. It will evolve, but it requires some some involvement from the institutions, is is my take.
0: Yeah, and do you think that there's been a lot of, of talk about a crypto winter, like after these crashes of um of FTX and Celsius and Luna? People started doubting or 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 stopped trusting cryptocurrencies because there seemed to be so much. um, There there seemed to be so many loopholes where you could actually commit fraud, right? And so I wonder, do you think that regulations will be needed to build trust on a bigger scale, so that you know? We say that cryptocurrencies are already becoming very mainstream. But I think it's still, I think this is the early majority still that is, that is trading with crypto. The large majority is yet to come, I believe. I think so. And that large majority, I think they need far more reassurance. They need lower thresholds and the, they need far more reassurance that this is a safe space to be, even, even if you know trading uh, will always, it, it will always come with some risk. I think you want to be, you want to at least trust the platforms that are letting you trade. I think so. I, I,
1: think, I think you need that to build the trust. And, yeah. you know, there's, of course, many more uses to blockchain than just with cryptocurrencies itself. Yeah, obviously. Um, uh, you know, a lot of companies, I think now, uh, like the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fing, said that he wasn't surprised with all the blow ups but rather with the speed of the blow-ups that happened. And now BlackRock is spending a great deal on the architecture of crypto in DeFi. I believe Andreessen Horowitz is doing the same. And, And it's needed, one, to build that infrastructure, a safe architecture of the technology, but then you also need institutional players to start regulate it. It's also when you start regulated there comes an insurance with it right if you yeah. lose something if it's it, if it's a case of it being you being cheated on you have some security also that you will return you will get assets returned like if you lose if someone steals your money from your bank account now yeah. let's say in sweden you report it to the police yeah. and you receive that money back after you know after a while but with crypto when you lose it You lose it. You lose it, and and you know sometimes that people lose their life savings with it.
0: But those hardcore crypto people that were there from day one, do you know what are they saying about regulations? Because I imagine that there must be two two um, double edged
1: sword. Yeah, it's a double edged Mm -hmm. sword, and there must be two sides. It's a it's a fine line, right? I mean, I. I have a mixed opinion on that and obviously this is just my opinion. I I do think some regulations are always good but mm. not to the point where they are um, where they're guilty of something being in stagnation mm. or they're limiting a development of some kind, right? Mm. Because that that can happen. I I still think there should be a space for um, innovation, exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm a big believer in innovation myself. I I support it, but there has to be some framework around it. What framework? I'm not the person to say. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: who to regulate it? Maybe that's that's yes. But it's it's just I'm of an opinion that something should be put in place. What exactly? Yeah, we have to leave to to institutions, but it's also. Very slow when it comes to institutions. Their processes are yeah. long and slow. And you know, even we just remember when when Facebook was defending themselves for the Cambridge Analytica. Mm. Um, a lot of um, were they judges or lawyers asking him questions or regulators. Oh, I was so stupid. It was they did not understand no at all sometimes what the actual issues the were. Level of, the level in of the questions
0: was quite incompetent. It's very incompetent. I think there were people asking "Well, how they make money?" Even weren't they? Mm, exactly. He
1: sells ads. <laughs> <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah. So yeah. So you know, a lot. A lot has been happening in crypto, and there's a lot of question marks, but. Um the bigger players or investors are of a positive mindset. I mm. think it's also positive to see that uh, one of the Swedish players has a positive attitude mm. towards it. Um I think it's quite unfair that people would get their bank accounts closed by just oh yeah, for sure. trading with like Coinbase, for oh yeah. example. Um it's it's worrying.
0: But that definitely shows the incompetence of those banks, right? Because I, I can imagine that they then assume that you're laundering money, mm. because there are. I mean, it, obviously, it happens in crypto, but I think the, I mean, the general public, they invest in crypto because they want to earn quick cash or maybe, maybe long term cash. <laughs> um, but but yeah, since it's, it's
1: not regulated, you're not doing anything illegal. So why should your account be suspended?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I would think that that's the only reason because they think that you loan the money and then mm. if you loan the money, they have an obligation to suspend your uh, activity. So, oh well. Well, that's it for crypto. Yeah, okay. Should we move on from uh, from one billionaire <laughs> to another <laughs> causing a scene? <laughs> let's, let's let's talk about Twitter. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's been an interesting year for Twitter. Um, and I think it's an interesting year for the, um, for the digital public square, right? I think, first of all, let's just have a quick look at what did actually, what has Elon done since he since he bought Twitter. Because I don't think we have to go do the full backstory. There was we know a, Elon. Yeah, there was obvious, there's obviously a story before he bought Twitter, but that's for another day. But since then, um, since Elon took over, he has removed the corporate board. He has removed, I think, the, market, the entire marketing board as well. So I don't actually know who's handling the marketing anymore. Maybe we should... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Is our way to get to Elon? <laughs> Not sure Twitter needs marketing, but um, brand branding. I would
0: say you, I think you need. You guys need a reposition. Some
1: some crisis management yeah, is yeah. needed. Then we can <laughs> rebrand. Yes. Uh, they also
0: have, they also removed their security board.
1: So like a full security board, or was it one person? Because I, from what I have they, heard, is that yeah. one person that has been. Well, basically fired or yeah. let go, was because that person...
0: He released the Twitter files maybe, or he was involved in the Twitter files. Exactly,
1: he released the files to the police, but but which was fine, but that person that released those files, at, or not to the police, to the media... Was a lawyer. That, that person was also involved in something beforehand, um but i cannot remember what it was but uh, but um it was not a trustworthy person to have in a company so when elon learned from that um um journalist who the security uh, head was he, yeah. he let that person go yeah what's his name i think it's uh, you
0: have, you're thinking of baker let's see du, 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 du. Either way, but but no, it's not. It's not just him. It's actually so. Uh, before uh, Elon came on, Twitter had a essentially like a council that were working. Uh, I think they were working for free, to be honest. And they just had these regular meetings with Twitter to discuss how to improve security. And they were. It was a group of um, experts in their field that you know i th- i think they got they got to learn something out of it or they got gone maybe to to have i don't know what their incentives were mm. but i know as far as i know it was a group of people that was essentially doing it for free but mm. they had been involved with twitter for a very long time and then with that being said twitter has had people that you know are in charge of like moderation and so on that stuff has been Reduced, um, mm-hmm. very heavily reduced. I mean, obviously, because out of out of the seven thousand five hundred people they used to work at uh, Twitter, two thirds ha- have either been let go or have left. So, I mean, you obviously. I mean, I've heard, I've heard podcasts, I've heard, I've read articles where people are saying, you know, I had a team of. Twenty people or something, and now I'm alone because people just left or, or they were let go. So, reduction. Yeah, I mean, imagine just what would we? I mean, seventy is a small company in comparison to Twitter, right? So, but still, one person there would be no chance that one person would carry the the workload of a team, and especially when the, it's this it's It's a massive company and they have there are quite a lot of daily active users so um, yeah it's it's a big task to suddenly require people to to work on fusenes essentially um, yeah he he also made some um some changes to the to the guidelines of Twitter, or to the to the user experience of Twitter, I mean, he did he removed the, the blue verification check mark, uh, so he made that into a subscription feature, right? Available yes. for anyone as long as you pay your pay your eight dollars. He reintroduced the verification mark though, this time in gold, so that <laughs> uh, so that companies could could use it, and I think that's for free actually. Then he has one also now in grey, um, and. That's for governments. So, you know, he's working with um, soon all the colors of the rainbow. Um, but also, then, and I think what has been worrying people quite a lot, he deactivated accounts of journalists that were tweeting about Elonjet. And some of them were invited back. Uh, but it's still just the fact that he's, you know, he's saying that. He's, he took over in order to promote, above all, to enable free speech, right? Mm. And so to deactivate the accounts of journalists may, may, definitely makes you question that purpose. You're thinking that it's a security issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, it's, yeah. it's not actually, because that is public information. If people want to find out where his planes are, they can still go out and find it for free it's a little bit maybe messier, but it's but it's out there out for people to find because that kind of information is every plane is legally bound to um to give out their real time co- yeah, coordinates. I know so,
1: that, but I think it still shouldn't be so easy for some, I mean, obviously you can go and find it, but yeah. it still shouldn't be put onto the big speaker for everyone to see. I think you know, he's a he's a regular man with a family and uh, I believe there were people following his car to the airport um, as yeah. well, to, which, you know, it's, it's not just him. It starts involving people that he his maybe family. doesn't. Exactly. And so for that reason, I think, maybe suspending those accounts is a is a very aggressive step but maybe a different solution would be better but still i think it's i think it's aggressive
0: because they didn't they didn't repost his positions they were tweeting about Jett as an account or they were writing about Elon as an account, so they were not actually giving out the. Because I would understand Elon Jet, sure, by, by by yeah, by your reasoning, like, and I can see, yeah, I can see that being a more valid excuse, I guess. But those journalists were not; they were not retweeting really the coordinates. They were just tweeting about the events of how Elon is managing Elon Jet. So, so essentially, are we not going to be allowed to talk about you know, uh, an, an event just because that event were managing, I don't know, how do you say, um, sensitive data? For instance, is, it would be the same thing as if we ca- cannot now talk about the, uh, the hack that, you know, that took all that data from, that scraped all that data from Twitter because that's sensitive mm. data. So it's about like do we do we actually produce content that is sensitive or do we talk about the sensitive content without uh, publishing it?
1: I think it's a very difficult topic to have a you know black and yeah. white opinion yeah, yeah. about. It has it has depth uh, that it goes to, but I think when it comes to to um, impacting someone's security. Then, yeah. then it becomes an issue for me, at least. But, but I, I do understand the perspective of: Are we not, you know, do we not have the freedom to say what we want? I mean, a journalist is reporting on an event,
0: mm. and they were reporting on the event of Elon having a feud with Elon Jet, and I think that's that's reasonable, reasonable, reasonable. for any yeah. uh, for any journalist. But then also, well, he he has also deactivated. Uh, accounts of former employees that have been that have been negative and that have been criticizing the reorganization or the changes in the company. So it's not just the journalists, it's also a little bit like, okay, I don't, th- I don't agree with this. I don't really like it. It's not beneficial for me. Therefore, I will re- remove it. That's just bad. Yeah, that's but just bad. Also, maybe I should actually mention this. Elon Jet, however, it came back. He reactivated the Elon Jet account, but. Um, under under the name Elon, Elon Jet delayed, so it's showing data to, that is 24 hours delayed, and that's oh. that's apparently then okay. Okay. So yeah, found the middle ground. Yeah, apparently it's open for compromise. <laughs> but with that being said, with the changes that Elon Musk has introduced, um, there's been quite uh, quite some serious consequences. You have, for instance, by already by December. Homophobic slurs had increased by fifty eight percent. Anti semitic content had increased sixty one percent. With that, then, since that was not, since Twitter's not a brand safe space anymore, half of uh, Twitter's uh, top advertisers had left already in November, and they, I mean, there is a max exodus. They are trying to. To get them back, to give them incentives where they match their media budgets to, I think it was like 250000 $250, dollars, I think. But companies are just not brands are just not having it because it's not aligned with where the type of space where the brand wants to be.
1: But there is no regulations at all at Twitter. At this I mean, point. no.
0: I suppose there is some regulation, but it's just so reduced. And the I think the type of content that wasn't allowed before they, you know, they, are, they are probably more lenient these days or Elon is more lenient with what type of content is on
1: there what does that tell us about you know, because you can walk on the street today and it can be quite unsafe right yeah. um, but what does it tell us about social media platforms if, if, um, if they are becoming so dangerous should we then not have them are we not mature uh, no no, no that, that's that's
0: i don't think at all that that's the um, that's the case i mean obviously we we can't we would have to go back in time to mm. uh, you know to avoid the creation of social media platforms at this point there is a demand there will always be a demand we need to rethink rather yeah i mean i think i think the the issue is a little bit different to be honest um I, I just want to go like through uh, through a few points, and then we can <laughs> we can get to the actual prediction of where we're going with with platforms, so to speak. Um, obviously, Elon did a poll, or as as I think a lot of people know by now, he did a poll. He was voted out as the CEO uh, by almost fifty eight percent. We'll see if he honors that. I know they are looking for a new CEO, but that's been ongoing for some time. Uh, Tesla shares have gone down. Obviously, that's driven by several reasons, but Twitter is one of them. And even investors are more worried about Elon's ability to to head the company and to head, you know, Tesla, while he seems more interested in um, in some sort of moderation of Twitter. Um, and I mean, just maybe a side note: last week he. Uh, Elon actually beat. Uh, he broke the world record for largest loss of personal fortune since November 2021. to <laughs> to uh, like just like last week, he lost almost 200 billion dollars. 200 billion dollars. Like you can't even you can't even grasp the amount of money that that is. Um, and yeah, and I think um, users are leaving. And uh, there's a report at Business Insider that forecasted that. Uh, 32 million users will have left by 2024. So I think what we are seeing, and that like back to back to your questions, actually, I think we are seeing the fall of of Twitter as a platform. And I know Twitter's always been called, and I suppose it has been to some extent treated as a public square. But it's not a public square, right? It's a private square offering public access in exchange of commodifying your presence. So with that being said, Twitter has had a major cultural role. Uh, politicians, celebrities, entrepreneurs, opinion leaders, they have all used it as a key channel in their communication. Um, even individual tweets have you know, made it to the news. And uh, yeah, either... It, that's through traditional or social media news, It has created headlines all over the world. And I think it's important to keep in mind that Twitter is among the smallest social media platforms. It has 200 million daily users. Compare that to Facebook's close to 2 billion users. And still, you could, as a user, build your entire career on Twitter. Um, And, you know, they have... They build their names. They build the, the the brands using the platform. So I wouldn't say that you know social media or, um, or platforms to share your opinions will, uh, you know, will disappear. And I don't think that they can be regulated away because obviously there are capable people that can build their own platforms, that can build their own systems. So the demand for public digital public square. That won't die out, but I think that with the fall of Twitter, uh, we're going to see a restructuring of a digital public square. I mean, imagine those that have been deactivated. Or oh, for instance, those journalists that were never activated back, they had their content there and they had accumulated that content over years. They had th- Those were the people that built their career with... Obviously, on one hand, the articles that were reporting that they did, but they did quite a lot of reporting through Twitter as well. And, and what if all of a sudden a part of your career being taken just because a guy owning the platform um, didn't agree with it? So, And I guess that's, that takes us to my prediction. I think already in 2023, we're going to see... A lot of people leaving Twitter. Uh, who knows? Maybe it will even go bank bankrupt. Either way, I think Twitter and its relevance is is going down. They might get a new CEO, but if that if Twitter survives under that CEO, uh, I think it's going to be in a far smaller scale with far less cultural impact. And I think the current Twitter users will look for for new platforms because none of the current social media, major social media platforms, the mainstream social media platforms we have today, they don't have the setup that encouraged that particular type of interaction. They t- think Twitter did. Um uh, but however, I, I don't think that one platform will be able to take over Twitter's role. I think people will go separate ways depending on what type of content they are looking for uh, and where a relevant network and a relevant community is residing and growing. So, um, I mean, imagine that Twitter was started in 2006. How many platforms did we have? Everyone went to went to Twitter because that was the only um, that, was the same, yeah, that was the only reasonable option at the time for that particular use case, I suppose, to just shout out your opinions.
1: Back then, we had Twitter, we had Facebook, Facebook I think. And that was it. Then the next that came out, well, we yeah. had others like Re- Reddit. When did Reddit start? Mm. When
0: did Reddit start? Reddit start. Mm, we, can we can Google, Google it. it straight away. It was, oh, it's actually one year older than Twitter.
1: There you go. to right, go, Reddit? We had that. There was another more visual platform. And yeah. I'm not talking... Do you remember Vine? Yes, the six-second video. That just died off. That was like a Twitter, but in a video format. Exactly. Like six minutes... No, not six minutes, sorry. Six seconds. It video. isn't too far off from what TikTok started being, right? Exactly. Then we got Instagram. Then yeah. TikTok came. Then yeah. Snapchat came. Now you have Be Real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a lot of platforms. And um, isn't
0: that? I mean, now I know Facebook still have a lot of users, but isn't the type of platform that is trying to do everything isn't that becoming increasingly irrelevant I mean if if you look at for instance Be Real and TikTok and even Instagram, as soon as Instagram is trying new features, people are pushing them back to doing what they do best, they are creating a feed with your friends' pictures, that's what we want from Instagram Correct. And mi- mi- sounded mi- like a demand. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the CEO of Instagram? Because we need a chat. I have some.
1: <laughs> I have some demands. Kaya has some. Yeah, some demands and questions. Yeah, but uh, the roles are changing, right? Yeah. Of the platforms. I think Facebook's role initially was connecting with your with your peers in in, yeah. the, in the same school, for example. I mean, the very very early use case wasn't mm. that like some sort of t- Tinder. Oh so, or actually. Yeah. You, might you, you, be were, right. you yes. were supposed to yes.
0: see if a girl is Inter- never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that was a different time. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but yeah. then when it actually when it got increasingly commercial and um, mainstream. Yeah, that was the that was the that was the purpose of it. Connect with people from school. exactly, okay. And share. we were sharing a lot. Oh my god, I've shared too much on Facebook. I have so many old albums. Like Party <laughs> October 2008. Summer 2012. <laughs> Ooh, summer to remember.
1: <laughs> but it is, I think, you, you know, social platforms yeah. or social squares or social media squares, they are a part of our lives. And yeah. and, and um, I think we, we actually talked a little bit about this in one of our previous episodes, just that how they are designed mm. for probably needs some rethinking. Yeah, because I know
0: Elon's initial plan was to create this kind of um, this kind of super app that we see with. I think is it WeChat.
1: Uh, yes, exactly. So WeChat is considered a super app, and if we just yeah. say why that is, is because. It's not only a chat. It's also it's everything. It's, it's everything. It's a it's a it's an app that is used in China a lot. You can you, you can send money to, to each other through the app. You can book restaurants. You can book what not. Through, so I mean, you you pay, you pay shop, your bills. Yeah, shop. you
0: shop. It's your bank. It's your um, I guess you book your travels through there. Yes, yes. Like you do everything through WeChat. So it's just a network of services. Mm-hmm.
1: Dating app. I mean, it has everything. Essentially, in China, if you want one app, all you need is WeChat, and you're probably good to go. It
0: would freak me out to let one company have that kind of
1: power. Yeah, that kind of power and that
0: kind of insight of your habits.
1: Mm, Because during Corona, they were they were issuing, you know, I mean, your QR code, which which you show, for example, when you want to connect with someone, they would just scan your QR code. That QR code. Was color coded depending on whether you were vaccinated, not vaccinated, in the presence of someone who had corona. Wow! So it was very controlled, intrusive, I would say.
0: Mm. But I mean, I, I suppose you let it be intrusive when you use all of those, um, all of those services. Well, yeah. I think in Europe and in the States, I don't think we're going to see a super app like that. I think people are going to be moving to niche platforms at least for like, and especially for the public square type of value, so to speak. Um, and we see a lot of niche platforms already being built. You know, you have, I guess the worst example, Trump, Trump Truth, or <laughs> Trump Truth Social. Has that ever been launched? It is launched. Is it? It's up and running. It's living its best life with the um
1: (laughs) Alex Friedman wants to to build um a social network yeah
0: I would support that I would stand behind that. that. I would probably even join that to to, I would yeah for sure he
1: he did uh, express although he probably was joking to some degree but he did express um a wish to Elon um that he would sign up to be the CEO yeah speaking of Trump social
0: you know Trump was his account had been deactivated previously, but he was activated back. But the reason why he's not coming back is because he's hanging out with all his followers at Trump Social <laughs> or Trump Truth.
1: Um, it's so they may use their square, yeah,
0: for sure. But then you have also another example, and I think uh, I'm gonna, just going to wrap this up with, it <laughs> with this final note. Um, a lot of people um, in the tech industry uh, believe in Mastodon. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's the kind of it has the infrastructure that feels a little bit more aligned with what we want to see in a in a public square. Um,
1: a little it, challenger to Twitter.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it has a lot of similarities with Twitter, but also a lot of differences. I mean, this is open source. I think Twitter was as well in the very beginning, but but um, well, yeah, hasn't been in a while. But yeah, Mastodon is open source. It's decentralized. So while Features are similar to Twitter. A lot of the infrastructure and some features are also different. Um, they have an infrastructure of various servers, so you can build your own server, or you can join a server, and different servers have different rules of engagement. So, um, I mean, you can find whatever fits you the best, right? But I think that the threshold of joining Mastodon is is higher. I, I don't think... I mean I can't see that the entire Twitter crowd will all of a sudden move to Macedon because I I think in, it requires you to to figure out far more than uh, you had to figure out how you need a little bit of a works. manual. Yeah, yeah yeah. But I think the decentralization that will definitely become a pillar for any like new digital public square. I think that's the my final words for Um, for Twitter, so with that maybe we should move on to Natural Language Processing Processing. NLP
1: (laughs) (laughs) What is Natural Language Processing? It refers to the branch of computer science, more specifically the branch of AI that is concerned with giving computers the ability to understand text and spoken words in pretty much the same way human beings can. Um, The way it works is that with the help of a combination of computational linguistics, statistical, machine learning and deep learning models, NLP enables computers to process human language in the form of text or voice data, then to understand its full meaning complete with the speaker or writer's intent and sentiment. So NLP drives computer programs that translate text from one language to another, respond to spoken commands, and summarize large volumes of text rapidly, sometimes even in real time. We do have an episode about this with an expert working in this field, Carl Deline from Conversi. So check that one out if you want a deep dive on the extent to which NLP can be used. But some cases we all probably come across at some point or another are digital assistants like, hey Siri, Alexa, etc. Speech-to-text dictation, computer service chatbots, and more. But the one that has been gathering a lot of attention recently that uses a natural language processing system is no other than chat GPT. (laughs) (laughs) Hands up if you've used it recently for work or personal reason. Or just to try to mess around with it.
0: <laughs> yes, so
1: Martina has used it. What do you think, Martina? I think it's
0: brilliant. But I, I think I find it so fascinating how human-like they are able to uh, to make it. And I mean, now I think we're on chat GPT-3, right? I think Yes, four and 4 is, is launching be, soon. yeah. So I'm just like, if this is what we achieved with these like beta versions, what's going to happen in full and what happens next? Right. I think it's, um, it's super exciting to also find, to also explore what use cases yes. we're going to have with this. Cause right now, I think we are limiting ourselves so
1: much when we're just like playing around with it to write us text. I it's something know. new, right? And it's fun and we want to just yeah. be and be, be silly around it. But, have some use cases actually that I've that I've listed, but if we just okay. we just uh, explain a little bit. So, what is <coughs> ChatGPT? It was it, it is created by OpenAI. It's an AI research and deployment company. It's privately owned, but Microsoft owns a significant stake uh, of the company. OpenAI built both. DALI2 and ChatGPT. You might have heard about DALI2. It's a a new AI system that creates realistic, somewhat realistic images um, and art from just a description in a natural language. It can combine different concepts, attributes, and different styles. So you could say, create an image of um, an AI or like a robot Mm. riding a surfboard in a beach in Hawaii. Uh, in a style of um, Salvador Dali. And it will create a few different versions out of that. Um and then Will there always be a nude version
0: if I wrote the same prompt, you know, mm. the a day after you or like an hour even after you do you think it's gonna
1: it's gonna I tried it actually. Yeah. They gave me different options, but the the options after were in for some reason lower quality. Mm. So I, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> so I've, I've used the same prompts. Um, but, but yeah, so DALI you know, has been used quite a bit before ChatGPT came uh, to life. So ChatGPT is a model that can interact with you in a conversational way. How this is trained and developed is available for an in-depth read on openai.com. So check that there. Um, but it's open source, Anyone can use it, and it's finally, I think, making AI mainstream. And this is only a start. It automatically generates text that is based on written prompts uh, in in an advanced and creative way. It can even carry out a conversation that feels pretty close to one you'd have with a human being. Um, so, what people have been using it so far for is to, you know, to help them write creative concepts to help them write formulas for Excel sheets, to to help them write parts of code, even for programmers. Um, but I think, you know, um, a lot of people have been asking, will it replace Google? Should Google feel threatened? And I think at this point, it's a bit too early to say, um, Because in some cases, it gives you better answers to questions compared to Google, whereas Google is better with other answers. So it really depends on a question you ask. Just from my interactions with with ChatGPT, I felt it often gave me an aggregate or summary of what I needed in an answer that would maybe take a bit longer to go through in Google. Mm -hmm. But
0: can I just uh pitch in with a question mm-hmm. but is it so much that i mean ChatGPT gpt or these type of large language models that the Chap gpt is based on they will they will not only replace google right aren't they going to um replace interfaces so you know instead of i heard this quite interesting example that it's not a thing yet but where someone said that imagine that you are, you're using Excel and you have a data set, but it's, and you know what you want to get out of it, um, but, but you don't really know how to structure the data or how to, uh, how to work it out. So what you're going to do is you're going to tell Excel, like this is, my, this is my data set, I want to figure out this and this and this, please make, make me a table on this and this and this and that.
1: Exactly, and that's what people are already mm. using it for. I think where it can become valuable is, you know, for example, a government. It usually has a lot of mm. data mm. Um, that is unstructured, mm. so one use case is definitely in, in there, helping categorize and structure data. Um, but I agree with you, I think there's a much bigger value to ChatGPT than just being... Um, a browser. And, and that's kind of the point, you know. And, you know, because on the other hand, like Google knows more about us and it kind of tailors the results of our interests and behaviors. Uh, it also kind of acts as some, somewhat of a gateway to the internet, right? Where you have numbers of different websites with, with more information that one could possibly digest. Um, but, you know that can be helpful if you want a range of voices. Whereas with ChatGPT at this point, it's like asking it uh, explain macroeconomics, and it will explain them to you, yeah. right? And and with Google, you can get probably ten different links, all with probably similar information, but there's some nuances to it. Um, but just based on what we have now, and looking at some of the predictions for this year. We already know that ChatGPT 4 is going to be released within a couple of months already, and we are recording this in January. And according to OpenAI, it will represent a dramatic step change, uh, performance improvement relative to current GPT. So if the current GPT cost such a big hype, we can only imagine what the next version will do and how much more it will be able to, to... Help us out with the various tasks, but what we are probably looking at is a wider adoption across sectors, helping not just governments but companies in general to structure categorize data, process documents, analyze data right um, but as with cryptocurrencies before i I do see that there's some kind of governmental regulation framework likely needed um and we know already that the European Union is drafting an AI act that aims to regulate the use of AI across use cases
0: and i think another thing that um you know governments or institutions will need to look at is how do we also manage the the sustainability aspect or how do we make sure that we can continue the development of these type of models without causing too much carbon emissions. Carbon emissions. Yes, because mm. with cryptocurrency, it's the, it's the same issue, isn't it? That Or with blockchain, that you need so much computing power that every transaction causes... To A lot of emissions, and it's the same with these type of large language models. It scans so many different data points that it's right now not actually viable to have a widespread of adoption of this because that would cause us a lot of trouble. you know, from a sustainability perspective. And, and I think that's something that, uh, that we also need to, I mean, I, I have no idea if um, to what extent it is being researched right now, but I can imagine that that's definitely going to be a topic that needs further exploration before a mass adoption and before a mass launch.
1: Actually, the biggest center for AI research is actually located in Slovenia. Oh really? Yeah, in the capital. Oh. But yeah, I think it requires a lot of a lot of thinking about AI technologies and how much should we allow them because I mean, AI learns based on what data you feed it. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, for sure. So it it's us who gave give it the knowledge and the voice and how to use it that's
0: also another question I have Um, I don't know if if you found anything about that but when you put something into ChatGPT it's quite politically correct I would guess so, how is that being managed? Because internet is a very dark place. There's a lot of a lot of um, harmful content out there, and it's quite interesting how it filters that away. Or, I mean, seemingly, seemingly, it does filter that away. Because you remember when there was a there was a bot, there was a, like a robot on Twitter. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Right. Yes. Who, I think was it Microsoft that launched he that? He was. I remember, um, robot on Twitter. Uh, just to make sure that we have the robot on twitter Sophia, maybe oh that's a different one wait i'm going i'm going to go racist robot on twitter because yeah microsoft microsoft yeah. okay twitter, twitter thought microsoft <laughs> say chat but to be a racist asshole yeah that's exactly the one <laughs> that's the one <laughs> cuz it was so easy for people to to train it with Data that wasn't to Microsoft's benefit or advantage, mm. I suppose, but just for the kicks of, of messing it up, and I think it's quite interesting that ChatGPT is in, it's not being done to it in the same way. And I would assume it's not because people haven't tried, no. but rather that there must be some sort of regulation in the in, in the, the algorithm. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
1: there's a limitation to to um, how it should behave and not behave. Yeah. I, th- I think they've set some rules around it. Um, I would need to read up more on the technical yeah. guideline and how it's being trained. But I think they they've limited it um, yeah. so that it's not being racist in any way. I think also then I think it's going to be possible to
0: also train the algorithms to eventually make the computing efficient. Eventually ChatGPT will know that it doesn't have to scan all data, it will look for relevant data sources. Maybe it does that already now, but it doesn't do it do it to the perfectly efficient mm. extent. Um but I think that's going to be something that will need to be evolved and trained more and more right now we're in an innovation stage, and as we've been you know mentioning quite a lot of time, like innovation is. Is um, held back by regulations. Yeah.
1: Well, first, I think stage is invention, then it becomes innovation. There's some stages yeah, to yeah. that. But yeah, I agree. Like that again, agree with you completely. I yeah. think yes to regulation, but no to regulation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah. my. It's, it's a double edged sword for sure. Double edged sword, and it's very. I think it's 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 so complex, right? And that that also brings us back to the conversation we had. I think with pair mm. is that. We make mistakes and we learn from them. I have one more question, and this Escoi. is maybe for
0: for your your personal <laughs> reflection. Is ChatGPT going to take our jobs? No,
1: I don't think so. I mean, we we were laughing actually, right? At yeah. some point when when ChatGPT three came out, we were. I think some of our colleagues were saying. Well, because Johan has been posting uh, sort of, look at this um, marketing strategy ChatGPT gave me, or look at this um, combination of what this means ChatGPT gave me. And I think Mm. someone made a comment saying um, goodbye strategists. Um, (laughs) Which personally, I don't think it will be the case. I think it will automate some processes and it will be a combination of that automation versus yeah. human input right yeah i think it's very hard to to um to just say oh people's jobs will be replaced i don't think so you know i think with technology when it when it first not when it first came out i don't want to be that person to say that but when some of the technologies came out you know people are immediately saying we will are robots we will stay without jobs and we will be jobless by I don't know what year. Yeah. Uh, I think it will take a long time before anything like that can happen, if ever, right? Because you still need, like who will manage those devices and technologies and programs mm-hmm. has to be someone human. I don't think it has the, the sentiment to, to manage itself and, think as a human yeah. right now it only acts based on the input it's given from the the data is being fed and trained on so in a very simple answer, I would say no yeah. I don't think it will take over our jobs yeah I read a
0: quote on LinkedIn you know people love posting quotes um, but it said and this is actually a good quote um it said that No, your job won't be taken by an AI. It will be taken by a person using an AI. I think it explains quite well that it will not take our jobs as as much as it will change how we work and how we use our time. Uh, I think it's going to make us more productive. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, for instance, uh, I was listening to an example in journalism where all of a sudden you don't have to write some standard copy or Mm -hmm. standard reporting where you just say like, oh, this is the weather or these are the sports results. Apparently sports results are actually already quite automated. But instead, you as a journalist will be able to spend all of your time on actual reporting of events that you and reporting of topics that you find interesting
1: rather than diving through all the data yeah, that you have, I mean, I know even exactly. for our work sometimes right we sometimes we would do surveys, for example, yeah, you know how much data you get from that you yeah. know you sometimes you sample hundreds of people, yeah. Looking through all of those responses, if it's not—I mean, right now there are platforms that automate some mm. of that parts already and gather the data and structure it and categorize it. And I think that will probably be where it moves into yeah. into structuring data that you can summarize in a mm. in an easier, faster way, and then spend your time on preparing whatever strategy is then needed to to go ahead. For me, it's more about it will help us. But I think there's some merit to the to that quote that you just yeah. referenced. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't think we're about to lose jobs. If anything, we might have to retrain ourselves um, to know, yeah, to different tasks. Different. I mean, if we all stay without jobs, <coughs> how? I mean, how do we get? Paid every month pro oh, you know, there there are uh there are
0: suggestions of uh we call it oh god why is it called uh but essentially the concept is that uh, everyone, everyone, gets, everyone, get, yeah, everyone yeah everyone gets a uh an amount of money uh and, and I remember. suppose there's always going to be you know entrepreneurs or some ambitious driven people that will still be um, they will still be working on some projects, they will still be exploring and innovating, mm. but the general public will be able to Let's see. Um, it's called for our Swedish listeners, it's called learn, And I know I think don't take my word for it, but if I don't, if I remember it correctly, I think Finland has been doing some testings yes, on yes, it. Yes, I think
1: so too. I've heard about Because a few years ago, we talked about this uh, in my previous work. We just were discussing what would happen if yeah. everyone was to stay without work yeah. to be done. Uh, but I think you, you are right. I think Finland has been thinking already about the um, same pay for everyone yeah. should they stay without work uh, at some point, right? Yeah.
0: So... It's yeah, it's
1: already being evaluated. What's the next So from from one uh light touch on robots Another. to the next <laughs>
0: <laughs> from AI to AI being merged with humans. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Boom. <laughs> what do we what do we mean? What do you mean with that?
0: We're talking mm-hmm. about brain computer interfaces. Um where, where
1: our man, Elon...
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know I talk a lot about Elon today. He's everywhere. He, he, but he, yeah, he is everywhere. He's in transport, he is in social media platforms, he is in... Does he,
1: does in he sleep? I want to know how he structures his days no because idea. I'm very curious about how this man can be so well productive how,
0: yeah no for sure productive i mean you can you can say what you want about how he's managing his companies but most of them have been going quite well and and even if they weren't like okay fine twitter isn't isn't doing great now uh, but they have never made money so
1: you know no. and, and, and you know like earlier i'm going back to twitter now but earlier you mentioned um you brought up the fact that he's been laying off a lot of people, yeah. which you know it's maybe a conversation for another time, but it raises a question: Do we like do tech companies really need all of the people? All that of they? the people that they actually oh, yeah, no. have. I mean, it, you know, it's like it. But I it's, think it's a different. Yeah, sorry. No, what I want to say is just that more people does not equal higher productivity. No. Sometimes less people were. Well, Less people means they will be better mm. structured in their work and they will be more productive. You can say that maybe for every single department in a company, yeah. but there has to be some kind of limitation to when the, the productivity actually starts decreasing. Yeah,
0: but I think, yeah, um, I think, for instance, like Meta, Letting go of 11,000 people. That would be, I would say that that's the kind of case where mm. it's reasonable. Yeah. Or probably because they didn't have a productive, uh, all staff wasn't productive. And I'm not saying that the individuals that were let go were the people that were unproductive, but rather I think that they realized that we can do quite a lot of work with less people. Because if I remember it correctly, they let go of people along all departments. I think Mm -hmm. the only one that was the least uh, least touched, so to speak, was the metaverse Mm -hmm. part of the business. But otherwise, if if it was like marketing, if it was HR, if it was like product development, people of all departments left or were asked to leave. So uh, I think it's a little bit different to Twitter's case because I think that absolutely some part of that group that were let go was probably also a little bit of overweight, so Mm. to speak, but I don't think all of them were, and I think then eventually, when people also started leaving by their own choice, I mean, there have been. I've read. I've read in some places that you know that Twitter eventually or Elon had to ask people to come back. Mm. Yeah. Um. So, I definitely agree, and I think that has been a trend for a very long time, together with the overvaluation mm-hmm. of tech companies. They have been able to employ increasingly amount of people. They have been able to test and and you know and explore more than is actually viable from from a business perspective or from like a financial perspective. And I see maybe that, and I think we are seeing now the consequence of of overvaluation in employees being. Us to to leave in mm. in big
1: numbers. Also, you know, the, this the tech companies also received so much funding. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And it was you know in many times there's been this idea of free money. Let us spend however we want. I think in some cases it hampers yeah. it hampers the growth of a company. And it's 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 not beneficial to just have money to spend. It's better to be. To to give them less and have have them be challenged. at how can we smart with the money? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right.
0: Yeah. That was a that was a little side note, but Mm -hmm. still, I think that's still a topic that is very relevant for twenty twenty two as well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But okay, before we maybe dive into this, maybe I should just brief the people that haven't heard of uh, brain computer interfaces before. Um. A, a brain-computer interface is essentially what it sounds like to be. It's a communication pathway between a brain and a device. So uh, what happens is that the electrical at- activity in your brain, it's analyzed and it's being translated into commands to a device and that device then will perform a requested action. And usually that is a robot or, uh, or a computer or something of that sort. Or Obviously it has to be some kind of technological device. Um, so what we are looking at is essentially the enhancement of the human brain and some say that it's the merge of of human and AI essentially Um, today BCI is mainly developed for medical use cases so it's still on the the ethical side of use cases. Um, There are ambitions, for instance, to give paralyzed people the ability to control devices. We're trying to provide them with some degree of mobility to restore their vision, to even restore full body functionality in cases where the spinal cord has been severed. So this is an amazing technology in that way because it enables enables us to give a chance to, to enhance bodies that have been disadvantaged either through accidents or, or from birth already but then obviously there are those companies that aim a bit higher <laughs> 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 um, and that aim to eventually create superhuman cognition and who wouldn't it be if it wasn't Elon Musk with his new Ruralink that was trying to achieve that? Um, so why it's relevant now is uh, because uh, just a few months ago on, on November 3rd, yes, uh, they held an event and uh, people were quite excited because Neuralink has been around since 2006. Uh, and I think for this event, people had expected some big news, uh, oh. And in retrospect, I think the best way to describe the event is sort of as an status update, um, a recruitment event, and a slight disappointment. I mean, there was there was nothing big or major new that was that was shared. What, what did they share? Okay, so one thing that was pretty cool—they did perform an operation on stage. So they inserted a Neuralink device on a dummy on stage during the presentation uh, and this only took like 15 minutes. So while, you know, while they bringing up like these engineers that would be talking about neural decoding or something. You have this big robot that is performing a surgery to the right. And um, yeah, I suppose it went well. When you say dummy, what, was it like a doll? Yeah, a doll. So the interesting thing is that Neuralink has built a robot to perform the surgery. It's quite big, it looks like a... Massive box, and then there's like an arm over it. Um Yeah, I think you have to Google it because yeah.
1: <laughs> I can visualize it, but it's because I've seen the, yeah. the kind of robots it's that quite, we're talking yeah, about. It's quite clean, quite elegant,
0: I would yeah. say. And so, yeah, they essentially put a dummy that was the the same size as a human, and the dummy brain was quite similar in texture. But the reason why they use a robot is, um it's quite complicated what they do, right? Uh, They are attaching electrode threads to the brain uh, and it's very, very important that you attach those electrode threads in the right places Mm. or maybe rather that you don't attach them to the wrong places. But it's complicated because your brain is moving and the threads uh, are each about a quarter of diameter of a human hair. It's tiny, 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 Tiny tiny. And I think you have about like 64 of them. So you have to get all of them, right? Um, so Neuralink essentially built this robot that can deliver safe result in quite unique, quite difficult conditions.
1: So that was the breakthrough they wanted to share in that presentation. Or? I think they were just
0: trying to show, first of all, like see we can we can pull this off, mm. and second, see it's not that it's not that complicated or like it's not that difficult it took us 15 minutes you can be you can be out of the the room in in no time essentially um i think they're trying to lower the feel of intrusiveness or i think they're trying to make it less scary also by showing this kind of operation because otherwise it is a very very intrusive surgery they are uh, and v- If you are very sensitive, you know, this is maybe a little bit, um, you might want to skip 30 seconds. (laughs) Because you're drilling a hole in your skull. Mm. It's the size of a small puck or maybe a coin. Mm. And so instead of your skull, you will have that puck there. So it will like it won't be like on top of your head, but rather like it will be
1: inserted in yeah, yeah, yeah. it
0: will have a perfect place for I don't know how they're gonna work that out with hair, but they didn't mention that <laughs> <laughs> but I guess there's a solution for that as well, um but yeah, so it will you will still keep the same shape of your head as you usually have, and so from that puck, you have the threads coming out
1: Mm. that will reach your your brain. It's still interesting because brain has been one of those organs that we still really haven't deciphered. We
0: don't understand it. No, No, for sure not. Um, There were some key takeaways in this event that I think uh, are interesting too. Without maybe important to highlight. Yes. First of all, animals are happy, apparently, and they are enjoying playing this telepathic pong that you saw quite a lot during the event. Elan said the monkeys are all right, but this has been quite, this has been quite dramatic because it has been questioned not only by animal rights groups, but also by the general public because uh, I think it's like one and a half thousand animals have died In in testings, uh, just since
1: two thousand eighteen. But where do we see it going? Do we, what do we think will be the time? What is the time plan for Neuralink? What are their next steps? Were able to find something. on the roadmap. I have a few more just like t- t- takeaways from there. <laughs> I'm so eager. <laughs> no. um,
0: but yeah, uh, there are some before, you know, they can start start uh, implementing it or before we st- will see the commercialization, I think there are some challenges that need to be worked out. First of all, longevity of the device. It's an intrusive operation and the human body, maybe the brain especially, it's apparently a hostile environment for a foreign object. Then you have the question of upgradability. If the hardware is forever, you want to make sure that it can handle all coming software updates, you know, unlike your your smartphone. (laughs) Then you have a question of battery life. Uh, Would be very unfortunate if your mobility... Ran out of power uh, when you're Can out be about. powered by your brain activity, M- maybe or maybe by the sun. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, on top of your head, so. But I mean, they have yeah. obviously an, a solution where there's like wireless charging, but you know how long will it last mm-hmm. for? And then if battery life is a problem, then it would be even more unfortunate if your battery got hot and fried your brain. And that's, that, that's a real concern that, yes. that scientists or engineers are working with. But I think, back to your question, above all, Elon claimed that human clinical trials will start in six months. But he has missed earlier deadlines, so we don't know how that's going to work out. And the American Food and Drug Administration is yet to even approve of human trials. So I think that takes us to, you know, my predictions for 2023... The American Food and Drug Administration will say, I don't think so, friends. Go back to your animals, treat them well, um, get them to survive, maybe even thrive, and uh, let us know how that goes. See you back in 2024. And in the meantime, BlackRock Neurotech will hit the market this year. Um, and that will actually make them the first commercially available BCI in history. And that's not my personal prediction. That's actually their plan. And I, I believe in them. Because um, fun fact, um, BlackRock Neurotech, they are holding the record for having the longest BCI user in uh, this guy called Nathan Copeland. And that's a however that's a wide BCI. So that's a little bit different than Neuralink. Um, yeah. I think the first wide BCI that, that was tested on humans, that was done in March 2021 by mm-hmm. BrainGate. So that has already been done as well. Um, but I'm not sure how many other companies have pulled it off. But yeah, so essentially Neuralink is not first out. It's just that with Elon Musk at the forefront, they are getting the most Attention! I think more or less fairly, well, that's unfairly. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but good. Good to see there's more players than just. Oh one. yeah, no, there are so many. So no, we are. This is not a monopoly of Neuralink for sure. not. their technology is uh, a little bit different than maybe other players, but um, we have we have many actors that are trying to win this um, win this race. With that being said, I think we can move on to one area that we, th- that we thought and that we maybe still think will change our
1: ways of living. Mm? The metaverse. The metaverse. Yes, yes. well, 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 well. <laughs> 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 the metaverse. Is it just me or has the metaverse been everywhere you look in both 2021 and 2022? Facebook renamed itself to Meta and committed itself to spend billions of dollars to develop the metaverse. But sales of VR headsets in the US declined 2% from a year earlier to, well, still a big number, 1.1 billion USD as of December 2022. But just for comparison, Meta's ad business generates that much revenue about every three days. Um, worldwide shipments of VR headsets have dropped more than 12% year over year to 9.6 million USD in the previous year. And I should also point here that some of the drops in sales are not only happening within Metaverse, but across industries because of weak economies and inflation. Consumers are tightening their wallets um, and are more careful about their spending Um, But just looking at other companies trying to build the metaverse uh, rather than only meta, it would almost be a sin not to mention Neil Stevenson, the man that gave life to the term metaverse in his book uh, called Snow Crash. So Neil started a company called Lamina One and is a layer one blockchain company. Their goal is to help build the metaverse with the help of blockchain technology. They have raised a Lamina One ecosystem fund through AngelList, which is a venture platform, um, and is serving two goals. One is to offer global accredited investors a way to gain direct investment access to early stage layer one projects that were previously not accessible to the general public, and two to provide web3 builders a vehicle for raising capital for their open metaverse ventures prior to mainnet so investments will mostly focus on the technology and experiences users can access in the open metaverse ranging from you know immersive computing to open ai at scale i think it's interesting because you know facebook or meta it just seems like they were more um trying to have their own ecosystem, a closed ecosystem, building their metaverse, whereas Lamina One is rather investing in different companies and providing them access in order to build the structure for the metaverse. Um, But what also has happened is that you know NFTs have also been uh, very prominent in the news and the prices of the NFTs are down 99% at this point. So whoever bought an NFT, bless you. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, when Metaverse and Web3 first gained in popularity, it brought NFTs, the non-fungible tokens with it. As we mentioned before, non-fungible means that each token or NFT asset is unique. Um, The data stored on blockchains by NFTs is connected to files that include various forms of media, which can be anything from images to videos, audio, sometimes even physical assets. But companies like Nike, Adidas, Coca-Cola have purchased their own Web3 lands in games like Decentraland to sell NFTs, which would be items such as digital sneakers in the case of Nike, or any other items related to a specific brand. Um, and items were selling you know, all the way from a few to millions of dollars in value. In our very first episode of 70 Tech mm. Talks, we actually talk about this. So head over to the episode if you want a more in-depth review of the topic. Um, but in September last year, 2022, the daily NFT trading volume on OpenSea was down nearly 99% from its May 1 peak of $405 million US dollars with a daily volume of $10 million at publishing time. So... What do we think will happen in the future with Metaverse and Web3? There is definitely still a large number of companies involved in building the Metaverse, either by focusing on foundations or creating experience, either driving the evolution of the Metaverse. For example, H&M just recently partnered up with Roblox and another Metaverse studio to create an interactive online experience that is called H&M loop Experience. And it lets consumers experience with fashion materials and patterns and become more knowledgeable about fashion and circularity while enjoying the playful environment on the Roblox 3D immersive platform. So, you know, overall, I think there is still trust to be built around the metaverse, both from consumer and business perspective. But just looking at the current state, it seems businesses are still the main drivers of growth as they've been previously through building the various applications, which have still been centered a lot around training or learning new skills or, you know, testing environments if we single out a few use cases. And these have mostly been built with VR and AR, which are still the leading technologies in space. One company that I might have brought up maybe in almost all conversations we've had is Apple, um, which according to various news outlets like Bloomberg, CNBC, this is the year when they will apparently finally launch their VR headset. Um, Will they? Do you believe in it? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, every year I say, this is the year, you know, and and Pat and I often exchange a few words on that, saying, oh, have you seen the news? (laughs) Apple is working on a headset. And we know for a fact they're working on a headset. They've been submitting um, a lot of patent applications. Yeah. it's just a matter of time. I think in the previous year they've been delayed mostly because of um, the availability of materials. Mm-hmm. But it, a lot of people believe that once Apple comes out with a headset, it will, well, quite likely also have that use case for consumers. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we don't know what that might be. Pat and I sometimes speculate around uh, whether that will be centered somewhere around um, well-being uh, or fitness, since they've been focusing quite a lot on that um, in, in with their other devices, you know, like tracking your bodily metrics. So I don't think Metaverse is going to go anywhere. It's here to stay. Um, it's just becoming more refined and uh, less of a, experiment
0: yeah that's what I've been wondering about I mean all of those companies for instance that bought land and that invested in in platforms and what kind of value do they have out of that now okay. I guess
1: there's two parts of the value right one is one is the monetary and other is the non-monetary uh, I guess mo- monetary like the the um, the size of an investment they've made that that dropped, um, you know, bought a land for hundreds of thousands of dollars. That is not the value it has today, but the value it has given them is is building communities, engaging with with their um, target audiences, yeah. and creating the bond between between them right yeah. between the brand and, and the and the consumer
0: are the consumers are the communities and the people are they still there because it's interesting mm-hmm. that you know if if the value of 50s for instance have been reduced if the if the values of of plots have been reduced that that's one thing but have we seen people leaving the platforms maybe like because the hype mm. is maybe over now, so people are not as drawn to it anymore. Um, or, or are there big enough user
1: bases? It's hard to say, but I would I would imagine that maybe the people who stayed are mm. the ones that are not just following whatever trend yeah. comes along, but actually people that are... The valuable users exactly. are still there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I would imagine that. I mean, if H&M is creating an experience... Um, in the metaverse now, yeah. you know, on on a on Roblox, it means there is still um, engagement and there is still people playing. Again, Roblox has been prominent, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. I think Roblox—it's a safe uh, a safe place to invest yeah, in, maybe. Yeah. Um, but others, I would have to—we would have to check. Yeah, yeah. on that
0: My uneducated guess. Would be that a lot of brands jumped on the hype or jumped on the opportunity. You know, there was there was this uh, sense that you have to be there first, or you would not be. You wouldn't be noticed. You have to jump on this as quick as possible and start working with these new audiences because otherwise they are already going to have an established experience and relationship with other brands and companies. Um, And so I feel like a lot of of brands went into the metaverse without a clear strategy on how the metaverse experience will not only you know uh, will be more than a gimmick Mm. and will be a long term strategy for complementing the brand experience
1: agree, and you know we, we actually did talk about this as well, saying that it's not always beneficial to just dive right into yeah. something new just for the sake of being there. I think it's very important to to think about what your strategy is. Yeah. Does your company or brand even fit to a specific platform? Uh, Will it create long-term value for it? I think that's that's something that brands need to evaluate before jumping on whatever bag and, you know they will jump on. Um, you know, it's just like if you just look at um, platforms like Facebook or Meta, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Right? There's there's different ways of engaging and building. Um, yeah, like building engagement with your with your target audiences, depending on what platform you're on. Mm. And the same goes for the metaverse. You need to think about what are its actual uses, yeah, um, and how that will impact you long term. Mm. You don't want to be that brand that shows up everywhere. I think
0: today's audiences are actually more sensitive to that. Um, that a brand just show up w- without providing value mm. and or without filling a uh, having a purpose with your presence. I think yeah. that's very In important. A, these days. a
1: very simple kind of um, way of saying this is like it's like going to an Italian restaurant, but you get served some Spanish food because yeah. why not, right? I came here for the Italian food, kind of.
0: Okay. Okay. So, three-word review of the the year
1: 2022. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, three-word review of 2022. This changes everything. Yeah, or uh, (laughs) full speed ahead. Yeah, that's a good one. What is your three-word, or was that your three-word review of 2022?
0: Um it, it could be it can also be <laughs> wow that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah i think mm. i think some something along those lines would uh, would probably make sense yeah
1: mm. but very interesting i think a lot is likely to happen this year and we will we will try to bring a lot of different topics again back to 70 tech talks yeah um, try to have interesting guests or experts.
0: 2023 is the year that we're getting Elon Musk on this podcast. Let's hope
1: okay. that would be that would be a dream, um, interesting guest to have. Yeah. Thank you guys for 2023. Let's make the best out of
0: 20. 20- no, thank you for 2022, <laughs> was and let's make the best out of 2023.
1: Here we go. Amen. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Go to the links in description to follow us on social media or visit 70 Agency website for more information. And if you like this episode, don't forget to share and subscribe so you never miss out on future episodes.